Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. And we're talking about COVID-19 and have a returning guest, Dr. Ann Carroll. Uh, Dr. Ann Carroll, thank you for joining us as always. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, it's good to have you back. You've been on several times now talking about the COVID-19 situation here in Northern Ohio. Uh, and you are a practicing physician. You're, you work in emergency rooms, and uh, you're at the cutting edge, at the tip of the spear, we would say. How's it, how's it looking now that we're in early August? You know, actually, it's looking much better. Um, I was doing some, I followed what's known as a COVID tracking project, and it's a research group that uh, looks at all the COVID everywhere. And they use something called an R sub T, and that essentially tells you how fast a virus is growing. It's an average number of people who become infected by an infectious agent. Mm-hmm. So if it's greater than one, it spreads very quickly. If it's less than one, it will stop spreading. Currently, Ohio is 0.94 as of yesterday, which is good. And if to give you some feedback, March 1st, Ohio was 2.72. We started sheltering in place March 22nd, which is about two weeks after. And about that time, it was 1.44. With shelter in place, it dropped below 1 and stayed below 1 from April 5th until May 31st. When we started to reopen in May, it went to 0.87. When we ended sheltering in May, it went to 1.01, so it was more infectious. But now we're back, yeah, now we're back to 0.94. So all the things that we've been doing, masks, washing our hands, social distancing, are working. Um, The one thing that we Mm -hmm. have is that this, apparently this virus has mutated. And um, there are two different forms, a D form and a G form. In China, the original form was called D614. It mutated uh, when it tried to bind to the ACE2 in the lungs. That's the, the organ that's most infectious for COVID. It would break apart. And so it mutated so it could survive, and it formed the G, the G614. And that's the virus that we saw in the UK, Italy, and here. And it was it has an S protein on it, a spike protein, and it's ten times it was ten times more infectious than the original D COVID, but it didn't appear to be any more deadly. So we had a much more we had a, a very rapid spread of COVID, but we had less people dying from it. So if that's the good news, um, well, I guess that's uh, somewhat good news. Are we experiencing here now in Ohio the G form? Uh, yeah, that's the one that we, we suspect is here. Uh, the, the one in North America is the G form of the COVID. It seems like the D form was more on the Western coast, not so much here on the Eastern coast, Midwest. It seemed to be more the G form. Um, you know, in New Do, York, uh, the, the spread, because mm-hmm. we kept asking, why did New York City get hit so hard? It was unbelievable how quickly it spread. February, they believe COVID was there in February and spreading rapidly. And they did the RT in February in, in New York City. It was 3.69. That was incredibly infectious. And if it was the G form, it was spreading faster, which would make sense. That's why we saw such a, a tremendous number of pe- people in New York City affected with it. When they started to shelter in New York City, it dropped down to 219 and now, well, at least yesterday, it's 0.9. So this this virus, even the mutated form, is going away. But it would, would explain why New York City saw so, so much so quickly. Because now it's very infectious. Now, when we're below one, uh, the the fact that it's not spreading as rapidly, like when we're doing one person infecting two people or one person infecting mm-hmm. infecting another if we're now right. one person infecting less than one, we're on a trend where pretty much if we can continue with this trend, that uh, that right. RT rate should drop down even further and eventually stop spreading on its own without a vaccine. Would that be right? Right. It should. But as you know, as these vaccines mutate and they mutate because they don't want to die off. 
you know, they want to continue going, replicating, so they mutate to a new form. It's called the antigenic drift, and that's why we have to get a flu vaccine every year because the flu changes, mutates, so we have to find out what's out in the community, in the world, and that's the flu vaccine that we develop. Um, it's probably going to be the same thing with COVID when they develop a vaccine. It's not going to be a one-time thing. It's, this is good this year, but next year is going to be something different because the virus will mutate. Um, when, but, when we talk about... Oh, go ahead. When you go look ahead, at this sorry. COVID tracking project, when you ask how, how are we doing as a country, they list all the states. And when it was worse, it seemed like in February, and how it's dropped significantly throughout the country just by doing what we're doing, masks, uh, social distancing, washing hands. I mean, those things have made a tremendous difference in, in the spread of the disease. This is great. It's good to... It's something that we can help ourselves. Well, in your opinion, as as a citizen, why is there pushback and reluctance on mask wearing and distancing and the questioning of science? What, what's going on? Um, you know, you can go on the internet and you can read a lot of misinformation, and you can people can fool themselves into believing whatever that is you they want to believe. I mean, I've certainly had enough patients in my career where I've had to give them a very bad diagnosis, and they were in complete denial. I do believe that there's some individuals who are in complete denial until they get sick. And then suddenly it's, oh, how did this happen to me? Well, it's very easy to explain how it happened. We've been telling you what you need to do and you refuse to do it. So it's hard to know. You can't, you can't change people's minds. I, I, I wish I knew a way. Uh, but there's so many people say it's taking away their right. Well, they can be extremely, they can be asymptomatic and extremely infectious and spread it to people who have poor immune systems. That's why I tell everyone, protect yourself and your family. You know, you can't mandate. You can you can say you must wear, but people don't do it. I mean, I go out and I see them everywhere not wearing masks still. I don't understand that's one of the, That's one of the most, uh, I guess, frightening things about uh, COVID-19 is this uh, subject of asymptomatic spread. Right. That people who right. could look perfectly healthy look like perfectly nice people, uh, yet they're, they're shedding these viruses that if you're too close for too long, unprotected, you're going to be inoculated with the virus. Uh, have we right. made any progress in able to recognize these situations? What's our best advice? Well, you know, again, you know, we've increased the number of people we are testing. Before, when we were testing, because uh, it was really a question of... Uh, the amount of product we had to test with, um, we had tears. People were very symptomatic, were immune suppressed. All of those individuals got got tested. Now we've opened it up more to testing people to prevent the spread of infection, uh, even if they're asymptomatic. I mean, we've increased testing 600% in the state of Ohio. That's an enormous number. So, of course, we're following, finding more cases of it, and what we're doing is you find more cases that are positive, even if they're asymptomatic, that you've got to self-quarantine. Now it's 10 days. Before that, it was 14. So we're hoping, the hope is that as we test more people, the asymptomatic carriers, and they may have this mutated uh, COVID, which is very infectious, we can drive that RT number down even further. We'll get rid of the virus. So that's what we're and doing. And that's a wonderful, it's a wonderful natural thing. But uh, sort of focusing on the asymptomatic carriers, uh, right, do right. we have any feel for, if we took all of the asymptomatic carriers, do we have an idea of how many of them will, within several days, develop symptoms versus how many will be left who never show symptoms? Do we know anything well, about that's, that? No, it's hard to know because many people don't get tested because they have some sniffles or whatever, and they hear about covid and still, people won't go to get tested because if they're positive, they have to stay home. And now that businesses are opening and, and people are, are more mobile, they don't want to do that. So that's a, that's a big problem. So that's why wearing the mask and the personal hygiene and social distancing is so important because there's a certain per, part of the percentage of the population you can't control what they're going to do. So you try to get as many people uh, that are compliant. You know, with this COVID, the asymptomatic carrier, most of the time they're most infectious, like just like influenza, about three days before they get any symptoms at all. 
Those three days, they're very infectious. So they could be in a group with 10 people and they might sneeze a little bit or cough or even just talking. And they've infected all these people unknowingly. Now, the individual who's asymptomatic then goes on to produce or to get the disease is usually about five days after um, they're inoculated. They start developing symptoms. And then they have a full-blown COVID, you know, with a fever and and, and cough and, you know, any of the other subsets that go along with COVID. But most of them, about 80%, do fine. They get over it. They don't have to go in the hospital. They don't have to have any special medical care. They just have to stay home, just like a bad, bad cold. Stay home and take care of themselves. Right, right. So all that group gets better. But then the problem is there's a certain subset of all those people who were infected who go on to have this end-stage COVID disease, and they're dying well, from let's, it. Let's hold, up and talk, let's hold up and talk about that while we take a break. We're talking to <laughs> Dr. Ann Carroll, emergency room physician, and telling us what it's like on the, the tip of the spear with what's going on with COVID here in Northern Ohio. We'll take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, mm-hmm. The Advocate. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Nick Phillips for Cloud9IT. That's cloud with a K. And you can find them online at flatfeeit.com or call them at 844-CLOUD9IT. Cloud9IT is here to help you during the coronavirus. Business owners have had to stay open and make a lot of changes to stay up and running. And Cloud9IT can help provide you with a secure way for your team to work from home. Whether it's a remote desktop or a cloud phone system, Cloud9IT will keep your business open and profitable during these difficult times. You have enough on your plate. Let Cloud9IT handle your IT. Call my friends at 844-CLOUD9IT or visit them at flatfeeit.com. Don't forget, Cloud9IT. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. COVID-19 has changed our lives. As an attorney, we naturally had to change the way we work with our clients. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, the advocate here on WHK. And in real life, I'm an attorney, an advocate for the people. If you need to personally speak to an attorney, call me, Nick Phillips, the advocate, at 440-243-2800. That's 440-243-2800. Stay safe. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. We're talking tonight with Dr. Ann Carroll about COVID-19, and she's a returning guest who's updating us on what we now know about COVID that we didn't know back in March. Dr. Carroll, again, thank you for joining us, as always. Thanks. Thank you, Nick. You know, as we were talking in the last segment about the RT rate, or sometimes referred to as the R-naught rate, 
the reproduction rate uh, of the virus that as long as they're below one, meaning that one infected person will infect one other person. If we're below one, that means that one person who's infected will infect less than one person, meaning statistically that the uh, the virus is going to start uh, finding it hard to, to find hosts. And uh, that coupled with the surface lifespan of the virus being, I understand, around 72 hours, is this a bright spot, as we mentioned earlier, and could this yeah. eradicate the spread? Yes, I think so. Um, one of the things that I am seeing, because we're testing more and more people, many of whom are asymptomatic, but less asymptomatic, but they've had a significant exposure to someone with COVID. For instance, a family member that they're living with, and uh, they've been sick this whole time, and the family member gets tested, and they're COVID positive. Um, then the individual comes in to get tested, and they're COVID negative. Now, you would think with that kind of exposure that they should be COVID positive, but we're just not seeing it as frequently. Um, I think, you know, I think this is a good thing, obviously, because in the past, when everyone was isolated, an asymptomatic carrier in a family, let's say of five, Mm -hmm. within two weeks, they were all sick with it. So we've substantially decreased our infectivity rate, at least currently in Ohio. Well, what's the cause of that? Strictly behavior, or is there something about the virus mutating to become weaker, or combination of both? Well, or what do you? Well, the virus we believe mutated, but the the mutated virus was ten times more infectious, not more deadly, but more infectious. But I, I think, and many of us believe that the reason that we're getting this virus under control is wearing our masks, washing our hands, and social distancing. Those are the things that have decreased the spread of the virus. Um, And I think this is something we have to continue doing until it's gone. It will be back, just like all viruses. It will probably mutate in a different form. So whatever vaccine they come out with currently may not be uh, effective next year. So they have to come out with another vaccine Mm -hmm. for COVID, like they do every year for flu, influenza. I heard someone explain that uh, as we're doing the social distancing and even when we get a vaccine of some sort that we're not going to eradicate the presence of the virus, but uh, think of it rather than an on and off switch, think of it as a dimmer switch. We'll be suppressing the spread and uh, lowering our risk of of getting it. With with that being said, uh, if we had a chart that we could visualize, this being radio, we don't have a, a chart. But if we could visualize a, a chart showing, okay, people who are in a high-risk group purely because of age, because they're over 60, and I know we have a lot of listeners who are over 60, that uh, with their risk, and we talked about 80% of the people who uh, contract coronavirus, uh, they're going to end up having uh, minimum symptoms or something very manageable just by staying home. Uh, and 20% will be hospitalized. With a group over 60, how are we looking statistically there? I think the numbers might be a bit different. Uh, a 60- or a 70-year-old who contracts the virus, what are the chances of them having to be hospitalized? Well, I've seen quite a few patients in their 70s and 80s who are COVID positive and never had to be hospitalized. So you really have to take the host and what their pre-morbid condition is like if they're in poor health and they get COVID, they're very likely that they're going to have to be hospitalized, particularly if they have any underlying lung problem or cardiac problem because they go hand in hand. Um, those individuals do not do well. Their immune system is not primed. It, it can't take on this viral load. And they have, with these comorbid conditions, they can't fight, they can't stay healthy. In other words, their lung or their heart or kidneys or whatever else is going on. When we look at the large majority of uh, cases of uh, of large number of deaths in not just Ohio but state uh, countrywide, it was in nursing home patients, and those nursing home patients have multiple comorbidities. Uh, their immune systems are not primed, and uh, they couldn't fight it. So what, this, what I is, don't think. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, what is this thing about obesity? Uh, is this something real that? I heard that's now a uh, it's a risk factor if you're more right. uh, obese. And the question: How obese is it? 
Uh, it's yeah. a high BMI thing or morbidly <laughs> obese or what? Anybody who's a few pounds over, what? who's at risk here? Well, the thing that I'm seeing from the reading that I'm doing is it seems to be uh, obese. Um, we're, we are a country of obese people, uh, but obese with diabetes, that combination seems to put somebody at, at much greater risk of having significant disease from COVID. Um, the others, COPD, you know, lung problems, cardiac, without obesity, um, without diabetes, while they're at high risk, for some reason they don't seem to have, I'm not saying the mortality, at least what I've read, isolated from obesity and diabetes. That seems to be a bad combo. And we talked about mean that diabetes. Every obese, yeah, it doesn't mean that right. every obese patient with diabetes is going to get COVID and die from it or have significant complications. They don't see that. But you start looking at numbers, you know, and the more you see, it seems to be something that's the take-home message. Mm-hmm. When we, we talk about uh, diabetes, does it matter whether someone's controlling it by medication or insulin, or is it just a general category? I think it's just a general category. I mean, so you look at, so juvenile diabetes is in the juvenile, in the young patient population, it's a congenital problem. What we're seeing in COVID, um, it doesn't seem to be, uh, kids don't seem to be getting it at a greater rate and when they get it, it seems to be less uh, uh, significant than in an adult. But an adult with obesity and type 1 or type 2 diabetes, is usually type 2, that's the most common in this country in an adult, they don't do well with COVID. They are the same patient population that doesn't do well with community-acquired pneumonia or if they get influenza. It's something about that combination that makes them more susceptible to being very sick. I don't have the answer when, for you. Oh, well, I, I appreciate the effort. <laughs> so, but, but the other question, <laughs> uh, then the next question coming up is for individuals who think they might have uh, COVID-19, they may have the coronavirus, and they're developing the pressure. When, when should they call their doctor or when should they try to get into uh, a hospital? Well, if they're symptomatic, sometimes what's happening is people are exposed to someone. Immediately, they come in to get tested. Well, that's usually too early unless I tell people, why don't you wait three, four, five days and see how you are? Self-quarantine. Don't go out and say, I'm not tested yet. Self-quarantine. If if you develop symptoms and they're progressive, then I would say, come get tested. Otherwise, I would still say, uh, just stay at home. Now it's a 10-day quarantine. Stay at home, and then when you go out, mask, wash hands, social distance. And sure, we have about a minute uh, two to go. Uh, with regard to treatments available, I- I'm assuming we're much better now than we were back in March. How are things right. looking that well, if you go to the hospital and you will be treated, what are your chances of survival nowadays? Um. Actually, patients are doing quite well now. Um, We've gotten much smarter because now we're understanding the disease more. Um, We know that intubating a patient early on is probably not in the patient's best interest. Um, It makes mortality much higher. So we try all medical. uh, Dexamethasone, uh, hydroxychloroquine is being used. We put patients on IV antibiotics even though it's a virus, viral infection and the new antivirals that are coming out. But they're still very limited in terms of the antiviral for use. And I'm, I think some of, the, uh, some of the bigger hospitals are using them in the city, but I still think that they have a limited amount of supply. So people, zinc is the other thing that we're, we're giving people, are taking it as um, just in the general community without being sick, taking zinc. Um, you know, there was a... How much? Uh, well... I say 50 milligrams twice a day, no more than two months, um, because the average dose of zinc is about 15 milligrams a day. So you shouldn't take large amounts for a large, uh, significant amount of time. But when there's uh, heavy uh, influenza, for instance, or something going around, I always up my doses, and I know my friends do the same, up our doses of zinc every day, um, just to hopefully prevent us from picking up the virus as easily. Oh, you mentioned uh, an interesting, uh, an interesting medication that we're going to have to have you back on again to talk about hydroxychloroquine mm-hmm. and using that. Very extremely controversial, uh, but we're out of time for it tonight. Uh, but uh, I'd like to 
Thanks very much, Dr. Angelo, for joining us and giving us an update and more insight into what's going on with COVID-19. So, uh, Anne, thank you again for joining us. Uh, thank you, Nick. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being with us. And we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back after these words. Hi, this is Nick Phillips for Cloud9IT. That's cloud with a K. And you can find them online at flatfeeit.com or call them at 844-CLOUD9IT. Cloud9IT is here to help you during the coronavirus. Business owners have had to stay open and make a lot of changes to stay up and running. And Cloud9IT can help provide you with a secure way for your team to work from home. Whether it's a remote desktop or a cloud phone system, Cloud9IT will keep your business open and profitable during these difficult times. You have enough on your plate. Let Cloud9IT handle your IT. Call my friends at 844-CLOUD9IT or visit them at flatfeeit.com. Don't forget, Cloud9IT. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. COVID-19 has changed our lives. As an attorney, we naturally had to change the way we work with our clients. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, the advocate here on WHK. And in real life, I'm an attorney, an advocate for the people. If you need to personally speak to an attorney, call me, Nick Phillips, the advocate, at 440-243-2800. That's 440-243-2800. Stay safe. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select insurance for your insurance needs. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next two segments, we're going to be talking about COVID and the front lines. We're going to be talking about what is it like to manage about 3 million people with phone calls asking about COVID and how they're doing. A returning guest, my brother and nurse extraordinaire, Christopher Phillips. Chris, thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, hey, it is my honor. Thanks a lot, big brother. Any way I can give back to you in the community is fantastic. Oh, well, you're quite welcome. Love love to hear back. Uh, so for the people who hadn't heard you last time, give us a bit of your background, because I'd like people to know why you're an authority on this frontline uh, COVID issues when people think they have it and they're calling in to a healthcare provider for the very first time. That's what you manage. Who do you work for and, and what system do you have? Absolutely, yeah. So I personally have been a nurse for over 30 years. I've done just about everything uh, from ICU uh, to multiple emergency rooms, and now I'm in more community health and population health on a large scale. I work for a wonderful company out of Washington, D.C. It's called Trivia Health. It is a national, um, fast-growing primary care provider group of about 3,000 providers and just under 3 million patients. Um, 
So I'm over clinical operations for the company. Um, one of the things I do that's very near and dear to me is I oversee the nurse care advice line. So this is kind of one of those after-hour lines, seven days a week. You get a number to an 800 number, you call, talk to a nurse instantly. Um, we've done over 100,000 calls since our conception about four years ago. Uh, we're on track um, to do about 10,000 calls so far this year. So it's no small potatoes. We, I definitely have a front row seat to what's going on. Um, I personally have taken um, for sure hundreds of COVID calls myself. In addition to that, I've, I've followed up on high and rising risk patients by making outbound calls and engaging them on weekends and evenings, making sure they're doing okay. So yeah, like you said, um, with all my experience and what I'm doing now, I, I, I definitely have a very unique perspective of the front lines. Well, and I know we talked some time ago and we had you on the show talking about what it was then. And you've been doing this for a number of years with uh, your company. And, and the question then is, when COVID started uh, to make a presence, to announce its presence back like in March of, of this year, what were the changes you saw initially, number one? And number two, how have things changed as we've been going through these past months to where we are now? Hmm. Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I think one big backdrop has been um, uncertainty. That is definitely the major backdrop of this um, this disease, this, this problem. And um, I'm sure that's just a common theme that keeps coming up in all your conversations. I'm sure it's a common theme you all feel as listeners from the very beginning to even now. Um, you know, Every day I get news feeds, and even as a clinician working with some of the top docs in the country, we're like you. We're splicing together, you know, articles from USA Today, the Washington Post, Apple News, um, trying to make sense out of what is legitimate uh, medicine and empirical science and what's just, you know, kind of white noise. So uh -huh. from the very beginning, um, there's just a lot of uncertainty in the caller's voices, um, not sure what exactly symptoms are, how bad this can be, who's at risk, what are potential treatments. That stabilized a little bit, but unfortunately, um, as, as you all know, the calls continue even after several months into this. Uh, patients and providers alike um, have uh, still a level of uncertainty as to what the clear symptoms are, what are true health risk uh, treatments. Testing. Testing has just been a roller coaster. Uh, testing started off very difficult to get. Uh, it takes a long time to get a result. Then we had a brief uh, breakup in that log jam where it's like a lot of people were getting tested and results within 24 to 48 hours. And now in many places, we're back to the six to seven day wait. Um, some people are clamoring for rapid testing, COVID testing, which seems really cool. But if you actually go to try to get that rapid testing, um, it's it's hard to get a physician order for it because they're, they're somewhat uh, triaging and rationing who gets that. A lot of people don't know. If you get a rapid test and you test negative, a lot of employers um, are not accepting that as a true negative, so you still have to get another test. So uncertainty. Uh, we are People are settling down, getting better at this, but I would think uncertainty continues to be the backdrop of this. Well, one of the uh, things that creates a lot of anxiety that's somewhat unique to this COVID-19 is the fact that it, it's uh, experiencing community spread, and it's uh, experiencing it with sort of an invisibility that is more ambiguous because of the fact that there are asymptomatic spreaders. I think medical science is pretty certain there are asymptomatic spreaders. From your perspective, do you have a feel for here in August now of 2020, uh, how extensive are the asymptomatic spreaders? Oh, yeah, that's definitely true. Definitely a good point. Once again, from the front line, um, taking a lot of calls, um, people who actually turn up positive, uh, sometimes they know for sure who gave it to them. It's like I just had a call from a 50-year-old couple in um, the Lynchburg, Virginia area who said, yep, my daughter just came back from Myrtle Beach. She tested positive. Now we all have it. So 
to tell you the truth, that's kind of rare that people just like know right off the bat. Um, you know, often they have to be engaged with an official contact tracer. And even that is somewhat speculative. So there's absolutely no doubt uh, from the front line that there's asymptomatic spreaders and that this is a concern and um, that it just adds to the perplexity and, and uh, the anxiety about what's going on. I see. Do, do we have a feel for how extensive the asymptomatic spread is so that when we walk out, what what's the difference between walking out into public and being paranoid and walking out into the public being reasonably certain that if you pass 20 people that you can expect maybe one of them is an asymptomatic uh, spreader of COVID-19? Uh, do we have any sense for how prevalent this is? Um, I, I have somewhat of a perspective on this, and, and let me preface by reminding everyone I'm, I'm a nurse. <laughs> I'm a registered nurse. I'm not an epidemiologist. Um, but this is what I've seen in my experience in working with some of the top docs. Um, for instance, when Ebola came out, that was really shocking and really scary, particularly as providers, nurses and doctors, is that you know, it was just so highly contagious and just so lethal when someone got it. However, the symptoms were so quickly acute and obvious, uh, they were able to contain it. And that's why it's totally dropped off the news radar. And in fact, in many places, I've heard that they, companies have stopped working at immunizations and treatments for Ebola because of the, the quick acuity that you see in a patient. With AIDS, I, I was at the very beginning of the AIDS crisis working in a, in a inner city community ICU. So I saw that firsthand. That was scary. However, we quickly learned there was a very specific narrow window of people who contracted or spread AIDS and what those behaviors were. Um, this definitely has none of those footprints. I mean, we see, we routinely see 70 year old high risk patients get this and survive just fine at home, like a common cold. And we see relatively healthy baseball coaches who are 30 with no pre-existing condition, uh, what we call in the business crump and go into the ICU. Um, so as far as asymptomatic spread, that, that's undeniably happening. It's one of the biggest issues. And I cannot give enough kudos to our governor of Ohio and how things have been handled here. On different national calls I've been on, um, different providers will call out me from Ohio and say, hey, Congratulations, your governor is doing a really good job of, you know, really towing a tight line with trying to prevent um, asymptomatic spread through masks. And let me just say one more thing. I know we're almost up on this first segment. Nick, you and I have talked about the common sense factor. It's like, you know, if you just read the science about asymptomatic spread, uh, it does not seem scientific that you need to drive around in your car by yourself with an N95 mask on at all times. Yeah, right, it does right. seem to make it, it does make sense though if you're in a Costco that you should wear one for your benefit, everyone's benefit. So just common sense for sure. Well, we're going to take a short break uh, here, but we're talking to Chris Phillips, a nurse uh, who manages a telephone nurse triage uh, program out of the East Coast from here in Ohio, and we're talking about COVID nineteen. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with Chris Phillips. And me, Nick Phillips, on WHK, The Advocate. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Nick Phillips for Cloud9IT. That's cloud with a K. And you can find them online at flatfeeit.com or call them at 844 844- Cloud9IT. Cloud9IT is here to help you during the coronavirus. Business owners have had to stay open and make a lot of changes to stay up and running. And Cloud9IT can help provide you with a secure way for your team to work from home. Whether it's a remote desktop or a cloud phone system, Cloud9IT will keep your business open and profitable during these difficult times. You have enough on your plate. Let Cloud9IT handle your IT. Call my friends at 844-Cloud9IT or visit them at flatvit.com. Don't forget, Cloud9IT. 
More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. COVID-19 has changed our lives. As an attorney, we naturally had to change the way we work with our clients. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, the advocate here on WHK. And in real life, I'm an attorney, an advocate for the people. If you need to personally speak to an attorney, call me, Nick Phillips, the advocate at 440-243-2800. That's 440-243-2800. Stay safe. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of the Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. Welcome back to the Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of the Advocate for tonight. Thank you again for joining us tonight and as always uh, to talk about COVID until this goes away. We're all worried about it. We're talking to Christopher Phillips, a nurse who works with Trivia Health Systems out on the East Coast. Over 3 million patients that they deal with. And uh, Christopher, a heads up, the, the nurse uh, teleresponse uh, organizational part of that operation. Chris, as always, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Love it. Hey, we were talking about, uh, before the break, the masking situation. Uh, it seems that the science of the COVID spread and public health the science clearly states if everyone wears masks, it's going to stop or severely uh, shut down the transmission and exchange of the COVID virus. Are you finding that to be true with your 3 million patients? Oh, yeah. Well, it's hard to tell exactly what patients are doing. You know, we are a large, large scale national group. Um, of course, we really promote that. We promote um, all CDC guidelines. But you know, here's something that really hit me uh, in the news there in July. There were two hairstylists in Missouri who tested positive. Um, if you saw this report, they had a total of 139 clients. Yeah, 139 clients. When they went back and did contact tracing of these two hairdressers who were positive, they always wore masks. And um, uh, none of the 139 clients became positive or were infected by them. So um, there's all this hard science, large-scale studies, and then there's really anecdotal stories here that seem pretty credible, that if you if you just follow the rules of being within six feet of somebody um, for over five minutes or whatever, three minutes, that you wear a mask, it just seems like a common-sense thing to do. And I, it's just so disheartening. I'm sure if the callers agree, you know, all this stupid mayhem with either, you know, shaming people who are wearing masks or refusing to wear masks or punching them in the face. I mean, it's just a common sense thing to do for sure. Oh, I hear you. You know, on the question of how the patients are responding, what are some of the common concerns of of those patients who call, you know, today in August of 2020? And if you can add to that, what's the emotional toll that's playing on these patients of having to live 2020 with this COVID-19. This is the year for COVID-19, apparently. Yeah, well, first of all, a huge shout out to all healthcare providers 
period. You know, certainly the emergency room, urgent care providers and nurses and staff and just everybody who makes all of those wheels turn. Uh, all the ancillary staff. You know, I mean, there's there's home care nurses and skilled nursing facility nurses, um, all kinds of nurses, um, aides, medical assistants, doctors, billing people, front desk who are risking their lives every day to keep the wheels moving. Um, so as a nurse of 30 plus years, uh, you really get used uh, and keened in to the voice, the emotion, and the nonverbals of an assessment, of a call. I do everything telephonic, not even video, just strictly telephonic. And our nurses, including myself, get very, very tuned to um, the emotions, the tone, um, the breathing, everything about a patient as they're calling in. You know, universally, um, once again, there's anxiety and uncertainty. Uh, whether you're a healthy young mom calling about a newborn baby, um, because you know grandma or grandpa were you know tested positive, uh, whether you're a higher rising risk older patient with multiple conditions, um, or whether you're just like an absolute healthy young adult who plays baseball every day, there's this undertone of anxiety and uncertainty, and. I can speak for myself and probably for just about every healthcare provider. You're, you're, you also are processing, micro-processing the uncertainties in your mind, too, as you're getting multiple news feeds, protocol updates um, that are, are very, um, very dynamic and sometimes disparate, you know, different information coming in. So, uh, unfortunately, there's anxiety and uncertainty um, in a lot of these calls. but as nurses, we've gotten really good bedside and telephone manners of calming people down, making sure the basics are there. They're hydrated, they're resting, they're protecting themselves and others from the spread. They know the basics. The um, idea about the emotional toll and the fact that people are emotional, uh, are there any positive things we can look forward to now? What what has happened now that we've learned since March that gives us some hope that this really is manageable and it's going to be survivable by the vast, vast majority of people? First off, is that oh, true? Absolutely. Yeah, and no, I'm so glad you asked because, you know, this is my wheelhouse, public health, population health, all of that. Um, let me start with behavioral health and, and kind of just expand that out to the silver lining on every level. Um, you know, obviously you read the news, behavioral health needs have skyrocketed for all ages through this process. And whatever current conditions, behavioral conditions somebody's struggling with are likely just to exasperate by this, you know, uh, whether it's anxiety, compulsion, uh, depression, isolation, all the above. But, but here's the silver lining. And, and this, is not, this is not a sales line. This is really happening on a big scale for just about everybody. Um, providers and hospitals have scaled virtual platforms, apps, smartphones on a whole new level. Uh, there's a whole new level of cooperation between insurance companies, health insurance companies, health systems, and doctors to um, really get people comprehensive, expanded access. Whether, you know, it used to be last year at this time, it was very hard for me to get somebody in to see a psychiatrist. You know, if you think about an in-person visit with a psychiatrist, they're, they're very hard to get into. They take a long time. There's a lot of travel. Very hard to get them in with a top-notch endocrinologist or pulmonologist. And there's just been this, this vast opening of virtual health. And, and the insurance companies, kudos to them, the United Healthcare, the humanities of the world, have really uh, supported the providers by saying, look, we're going to pay for all these virtual visits, no questions asked in a lot of instances, and just make it happen, just take care of people. So um, not only through the crisis, but post-crisis, um, we anticipate you will be able to see a specialist, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a primary care provider. You'll really have a choice. You know, do you want to go in? Do you want to travel, whatever, 30, 40 minutes to get there and wait two weeks? Or do you want to jump into a virtual platform in the next two hours to two days and get this instant access? On top of that, on the back end, um, most of these large organizations are developing really sophisticated apps 
apps to um, help on your phone manage these symptoms. Um, in fact, I'd like to give a shout out for a free app called Sanvelo, S-A-N-V-E-L-L-O. Sanvelo is a top-rated um, free product. I believe Optimum and United Healthcare provide this for free. It helps uh, people self-manage and regulate depression and anxiety and mood um, during this process. So to me, there's a, a great silver lining here of access um, that is just around the corner. A couple of things I heard, and you could confirm if you've heard them also. Uh, one is with regard to the 2020-2021 flu season, that uh, although we're going to be experiencing the annual flu season, that this one might not be as bad because of everyone's heightened consciousness of hand-washing and distancing. And if you're sick, stay away from people. That might actually cut back on the extent for the flu this year. Have you heard anything like that? Is that true or is that wishful thinking? Yeah, I think I think it's a push-pull a little bit. I think that will be really helpful. I mean, as a seasoned career nurse, um, I feel safer. I actually feel safer now going out in public, um, you know, knowing that, that people are... You know, I, I see a lot of people who are public facing wear a mask or be behind glass or frequently washing their hands. So that's really good. I agree with that part. But the, the downside or the challenge is going to be a lot of people, a lot of people are deferring their immunization or vaccines, both for them and their children. And um, very concerned that um, that will be a deterrent or a negative to, uh, you know, so, decreasing. That, so yeah. the final comment, we want everyone to get their flu shots this year. And their vaccine, and children's vaccines. Yeah, there's quite a bit of concern and a little bit of a crisis that children and adults, people of all ages, are falling behind on their normal vaccine. Yeah. So well, we're going to have to cooperate with that. Everyone does that. Well, Christopher Phillips, thank you as always for joining us. And we're going to have you on again as the story unfolds, COVID-19 here for 2020. So thank you so much for joining us, Chris. You're quite welcome. It was an honor. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset, sat and drank my fresh mint tea.